This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you who are watching at this time, and we hope that you'll continue to watch today. The word revival is a Bible word. For example, in Psalms, the 85th chapter and verse 6, David said, O Lord, revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee. There are several times in the Old Testament, especially, that the word revival is found. Today, we want to discuss this topic, the conditions for revival. What are the conditions for a spiritual revival today? I hope that you'll stay tuned. We appreciate those of you who may be watching today for the very first time. Continue to stay with us today. We appreciate your watching, and we appreciate those who watch every time we come on the air. And I, I mean literally. There are those that watch it not only uh, early in the morning, but they watch it when we come on the afternoon or in the evening. They watch it both times every day. We appreciate the interest that you have in the Word of God. Now today, we want to continue to offer a Bible course that's free to each one of you. And I emphasize that it is free. We're, we offer it to free of charge because we want people to get better acquainted with the Bible. We want to encourage people to study the Bible more. And this Bible course is being used by thousands of people, not only in the United States, but in many, many foreign countries. And we want you to have a part of it as well. In order that you not might know more about the course, in order that you might know how to receive the Bible course, let's pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5211. I'm reading now from the 51st Psalm, beginning in verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judged. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. 
restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. It's really hard to realize that that the same man who wrote the great 23rd Psalm is the same man that also wrote the 51st Psalm. The man who at one point is on the mountaintop is now in the valley. But this is one of the marks of the inspiration of the Bible. It not only points out the good in the lives of God's great people, but it also points out the bad in their lives as well. It's hard to realize that the man on Christ's breast, for example, on one occasion is the same man who called for fire to come down from heaven on another occasion. It's hard to realize that the same man who at one time is weeping against a wall because he's fallen afar off and denied the Lord is the same one who is preaching to multitudes of people on the day of Pentecost. You see, David was a man after God's own heart. He was not a man after God's own heart when he did wrong. But, but David was a man after God's own heart when he repented of his wrong. And the 51st Psalm is written against the background of David's sin. And in this psalm, it is a psalm of, of penitence and of David asking God to cleanse his heart and to make him right again. We need a great revival in our world, a revival that would bring men and women back to God. In America, there is a great need for revival. Uh, haven't you wished that there was some way that men and women all over America, yea, all over the world, could be brought back to a strong faith and trust in Jehovah God. How can we have such a revival? What are the conditions for such a revival? I believe in the 51st Psalm, is to be found some of the conditions that would bring that type of revival to pass. First of all, there must be contrition in our hearts. In Psalms 51, in verse 1, listen to David again. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. What, what he says here is somewhat like the prayer of the publican in the 18th chapter of Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9, Jesus told about two men who went up to the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee. One of them was a publican. And when the Pharisee prayed, he prayed along this line, Lord, I, he said, I want you to know how good I am. Now this is, this is just my way of saying it. He said, Lord, I've been tithing and I've been, I've been doing a lot of good things. Lord, I, I've even been faithful to my wife. 
And he said, Lord, I'm just so thankful that I'm not like other people. And then he pointed to this publican. He said, Lord, I'm thankful that I'm not like that publican. Now the publican, we're told, would not so much as lift up his eyes to heaven. And he smote his breast and he said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Isn't that like David when he said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness? Going back to Luke 18, Jesus analyzed those two men. And he said, This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, but he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And so the man who was the publican was the man who was exalted. The Pharisee who said, Lord, I'm just so thankful that I'm not like other people, was the man who was abased. Friends, pride is an anti-God state of mind. We'll never be like God with that pride in our hearts. There must be contrition in our hearts. David said, have mercy upon me, O God. In the 17th verse of this 51st Psalm, the psalmist said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. God is looking for contrition. Do you remember in Proverbs, the 16th chapter in verse 18, that, that the Bible reads like this, pride goes before a destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is against God, and it's an anti-God state of mind. We're taught in the Bible that God resists the proud, but He gives grace to those who are humble. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. The Lord is looking for a contrite heart. He's looking for humility in our lives. We ought to be as humble as when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. We, we ought to be humble enough and contrite enough to recognize our own weaknesses. Sometimes it's easy to see the weaknesses of others, but we don't see our own. We ought to be humble enough to consider other people rather than just looking at ourselves. In Philippians, the second chapter, Paul said, each of you looking not only on his own things, but also on the things of others. And we need to be humble enough to have a deep, abiding respect for God. That's what's lacking in our world today. That's what's lacking in America. A deep respect for God. Just having in God we trust on our money does not mean that we trust God nor respect Him. But if we want a revival, there must be that respect for God. We need to be humble enough to realize that. In Isaiah the 66th chapter and verse 2, the Lord said, But on this one will I look. Well, I'd like to know who is God going to look on. On Him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. And there's a lack of trembling at the word of God today. But if we want revival, there must be that contrition. There must be humility. 
There was a gospel preacher that I now deceased that I knew by the name of Gus Nichols. And in churches of Christ throughout America, his name was somewhat a household word. And I can remember on many occasions hearing the late Gus Nichols say, we need to get off of our Tom Walkers and we need to get down on the terra firma. Well, I don't know what many people think about when they think of Tom Walkers, but we heard of people walking on stilts and we need to get off of our stilts and we need to get down on the ground. We need to be poor in spirit and contrite in heart. And that recognizes the need we have for God. A man by the name of George Adam Smith told about an occasion of going up the Swiss Alps. And he said when they reached a certain peak, his first impulse was to stand up in, in jubilation. But, but the God said, on your knees, sir, on your knees. You're not safe unless you're on your knees. What he meant was that the wind could be disastrous and blow him off the mountaintop. And you and I are not safe unless we're on our knees. Contrition. That's what God is looking for today. Something else that's essential if we would have a revival in America, if we would have a revival in the Lord's church today, there must be confession. Listen to verse 3 and 4 again. I acknowledge my, my transgression. My sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. We have to be willing to say, Lord, I have sinned against you. It is a smart man who knows when he is wrong. I repeat, it is a smart man who knows when he is wrong. A man went into a barber shop to get a, to get a haircut. And as he was getting a haircut, he told the barber, I'd like for you also to give me a shave. So while he was being shaved, there was a young woman working there who would give you a manicure. And so as she was manicuring his nails, the man getting the shave said to her, Say, well, what are you doing when you get off from work? And she said, I don't know. You can ask my husband. He's shaving you right now. Well, if that man was smart, he would know that he was in the wrong and should apologize. But you see, there is an inborn tendency for people to be allergic to guilt. Well, when the Lord came to Adam in the Garden of Eden, he said, now I want to know what you've done. He said, it was a woman. Don't blame me, Lord, it was the woman. When Moses was on Mount Sinai and he came down and the, and the people had a golden calf and he came to Aaron and he said, what's all the meaning of this, Aaron? He said, it's the people. The people wanted it. When King Saul was told to go and destroy the Amalekites and he came back with the king and he came back with some of the very best of their, their flocks and, and Samuel asked him, what's the meaning of all of this? Oh, he said, it's the people. It's the people. You see, there's that tendency for us to be allergic to saying, I was wrong. 
It was me. Today, people do not want to accept responsibility for what they have done. Here are two cars that collide, and the drivers of each car jump out, and, the, and one driver says to the other, well, it was your fault. And the other driver says, no, 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 it was your fault. You see, we just don't want to admit it. And our reluctance is greatest when it comes to sin. It, three of the most difficult words to utter are these, I have sinned. But we need to realize that uh, the biggest problem in America today, the biggest problem in the world today, and regrettably I'd have to say probably the biggest problem in the church today is sin. Sin. And we need to be willing to say, Lord, I have sinned. We need to be willing to confess that we are sinners and that we have sinned against God. And when we do sin, it is against God. In Genesis, the 39th chapter, when young Joseph was sold into Egypt, eventually found himself in the house of Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife daily began to try to seduce him. But he finally said to her, and this is recorded in the 39th chapter of Genesis in verse 9, I can't do that. Because if I do, I'd be sinning against God. All sin is against God. And we will never be right with God. We will never have a revival, a spiritual renewal, uh, until we're willing to get down on our knees and confess our sins to God. Bible reads like this in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13, Whoso covereth his sin shall not prosper, but he that confesseth and forsaketh them shall find mercy. It's not enough to confess our sins. We, we need to be willing to give up our sins. James 5 and 16 is written to Christians. And that verse reads, Confess your faults one to another, and pray ye one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. When I, as a Christian, sin against God, I need to be willing to ask God to forgive me of that sin. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We want a revival. Not only do we need to be willing to, to get down on our knees before God, be humble, have a contrite spirit. We need to be willing to say, I've sinned. I've been preaching a long time. And I am convinced in my own mind the reason some people have never obeyed the gospel. Or they may say they believe on Jesus and repent of their sins. But they're not willing to really say, I've been a sinner. They may tell you they would repent of their sins, but they're not willing to give them up. They're not willing to give them up because deep down inside, they don't see themselves as a sinner. 
And hence, they're not going to be baptized if they don't think they're lost. A woman asked me one day, she was a member of the Church of Christ, hadn't been faithful. She said, Brother Lambert, have you ever made a confession? She acknowledged to me that that's what she needed to do, and she meant that she needed to confess before the church that she had been unfaithful. I believe that that was in order because the Bible teaches that when we as Christians sin, we're to repent of our sin, we're to be willing to acknowledge it or confess it and then ask God to forgive us and ask people to pray for us. So she asked me, have you ever made a confession? I said, yes, ma'am. I make one to God every day. I ask the Lord to forgive me of anything in my life that would be against Him. Confession. But let's look at yet a third essential to having this revival. There has to be cleansing. It's not enough for a person to be humble. It's not enough for a person to say, Well, well Lord, I, I've sinned, and now I'm a sinner. We need cleansing. Look at verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop. I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Look at verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Now David had sinned and he knew it. And David felt the need to be cleansed. David understood something that all of us need to understand. That sin defiles the soul. It, it, it pollutes the soul. I have been intrigued over the years in watching certain ads on television, especially ads that might be uh, trying to sell us some particular kind of of a soap, a bar of soap, you know. And I've noticed that when they advertise that, they always seem to use women. And I have noticed that the women they select to advertise that, or maybe even some cosmetic, is always some of the most beautiful women that you can ever find anywhere. Now, I've often wondered, looking at those that are advertising that soap or maybe advertising that cosmetic. And on the outside, they're, they're beautiful women. They're always dressed up nice, look nice. But I've often wondered, how do some of their hearts look to God? Now, I don't know how they look to God. I just wonder that. It might be some of them are Christians. It might be some of them are living a Christian life. And, and in the sight of God, they've got a pure heart. But some of them may have a heart that is just as black as a lump of coal. Because sin defiles the soul. When you get out in the yard and you've worked all day long, cutting the lawn, trimming, doing all kinds of things like that, you're dirty. And when you go in the house, the first thing you want to do is to clean up. But you know, we have a tendency to, to, to neglect the need to cleanse our souls. We, we have a tendency sometimes to say, well, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. 
I read a story many years ago about a preacher who was on his way to preach, and this was back in the early days in this country, and you would walk to church. You'd walk to Sunday school. You'd walk to worship. I can remember uh, in my early days of preaching, a place I would go to hold gospel meetings, and all of the people would walk to church. And so the preacher was walking on his way down to the meeting house, and he happened to pass the farm of a man who was out in the front yard washing his horse. The preacher stopped and said, Are you coming to worship today, brother? He said, No, I've got to wash my horse. He said, After all, preacher, cleanliness is next to godliness. The preacher didn't even stop walking. He said, well, maybe the horse will make it to heaven. We need cleansing today. What we need is the cleansing of the heart. And there is a cleansing agent. That cleansing agent is Jesus' blood. In Matthew 26, 28, Jesus said, this is my blood of the New Testament, which was shed for many for the remission of sins. Revelation 1.5 says, Unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And friends, the whole world needs cleansing. The problem of our world is not a money problem. It's not a military problem. It is a problem of the heart. The world needs cleansing for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it was Jesus, according to 1 John 5, 3 and 5, who died to take away our sins. It is His blood that takes away our sins. Apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And in Romans the 6th chapter, verses 1 through 4, Paul explains how that blood takes away our sins. We die to sin, verse 2. How shall we that are dead to sin, living longer therein. We are buried with Christ in baptism. Verse 3, Know you not that so many of us as we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into His death. And then we arise from that watery grave to walk in the newness of life. We've been made free from our sins. Some are in the cobweb of sin right now, entrapped in, in by Satan. But friend, I want you to know, Jesus can set you free. Whoever you are, whatever you may have done, He can set you free. He can free you from the bondage of sin. Oh, that's the great need of our world today, to need to cleansing in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would urge you as a believer in Jesus Christ to be baptized that your sins be cleansed. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. Getting to know your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, 
Summerdale, Alabama, 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.